Hello and welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from TheUptake.org, CNN, Democracy Now!, Barack Obama, Sam Cedar, and Ted Kennedy. of the precincts have now reported Barack Obama wins the state of South Carolina 55% to Hillary Clinton's 27%, John Edwards 18% of the vote. Let's take a look and see how Barack Obama did this. A very, very impressive win, John King. Wow, is the word for it in three simple letters. Wolf, here's the state. 99% of the precincts reported. As you know, 55% for Barack Obama. Let's look at it from this perspective. How many counties did he win? Look at that. That's Barack Obama. You have one county here, not his, one county way on the far left, and one in the middle. We haven't gotten any results yet. Barack Obama winning almost everywhere. John Edwards, just up there. His hometown of Seneca, South Carolina, he won that county, a very small rural county. Not many votes there, but a symbolic victory for John Edwards there. Senator Clinton winning only here in Horry County. That is the home of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But again, the big story tonight is this. Wow. Barack Obama winning everywhere and winning big. And Wolf, let's project this forward just a little bit. He won on the back of African-American support. Excuse my scribbles, but this is South Carolina. 29% of the population is African-American, registered voters. Only Georgia and Alabama, in terms of the Super Tuesday state, get into the 20s. 26% in Alabama, 30% in Georgia. Everywhere else, the numbers are much lower. 17% in New York, 17% in Tennessee, 16% in Arkansas, 15 in Obama's home state of Illinois. And then as you go out west, a much smaller percentage of African-Americans in the electorate. So his challenge will be to go beyond the African-American base he had right there. Very, uh, and you could, and you, and you could hear in his speech tonight, looking ahead to yes. all of those states. Let's go to Anderson Cooper. He's got some thoughts as well. Anderson, check in with Carl Bernstein. Carl, your thoughts. One of the worst nights of Hillary Clinton's life. Uh, she had a chance at the end of the evening to be magnanimous, to say something about where her campaign is going to go. Instead, she was shop worn, tired. It's exactly what they don't need. Uh, the Clinton campaign, and she's going to have an uphill fight from In the words of George Bush tonight, Hillary took a thumping. She knew that. She headed to Tennessee. She wants South Carolina in the rearview mirror. She talked about Florida heading into the future. That's her focus. Hillary Clinton needs a, t needs a t reassert control of her campaign. She's a candidate, not Bill Clinton. She should be in control and say, I'm the one running, not him. Gloria Borger? Well, I think uh, this is going to be about uh, New York, New Jersey, Super Tuesday. He's going to fight her uh, in California. This might have been a bad night for Hillary Clinton, but it wasn't the worst night. Uh, she's going to fight on. She's leading in all those states. So the idea that this is some sort of calamity for all time, we're a ways off from that for her. And, and, and in terms of Barack Obama, I mean, tomorrow, the next day, where does he go from here? He, 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 does it, he fights on two levels. He stays high above the plane, talking about the things he was talking about in his speech tonight, talking about change. And, he try, and, on, and on another level, he fleshes out where he is as a candidate and where he would be as a president. I was just checking right. in with the, uh, blogger Andrew Sullivan. He pointed out that uh, in terms of numbers, Obama beat McCain and Huckabee combined in terms of t turnout. It's huge turnout. phenomenal enormous turnout in South Carolina as it has been in every state in the Democratic primaries. Something to keep in mind when the Republican turnout has been going down in each state.
you. Thank you. Thank you, South Carolina. Thank you to the rock of my life, Michelle Obama. Thank you to Malia and Sasha Obama, who haven't seen their daddy in a week. Thank you to Pete Skidmore for his outstanding service to our country and being such a great supporter of this campaign. You know, over two weeks ago, we saw the people of Iowa proclaim that our time for change has come. But there were those who doubted this country's desire for something new, who said Iowa was a fluke, not to be repeated again. Well, tonight, the cynics who believe that what began in the snows of Iowa was just an illusion were told a different story by the good people of South Carolina. After four, after four great contests in every corner of this country, we have the most votes, the most delegates, and the most diverse coalition of Americans that we've seen in a long, long time. see it in the faces here tonight. There are young and old, rich and poor. They are black and white, Latino and Asian and Native American. They are Democrats from Des Moines and Independents from Concord. And yes, some Republicans from rural, Indi uh, rural Nevada. And we've got young people all across this country who've never had a reason to participate until now. And in nine days, in nine short days, nearly half the nation will have the chance to join us in saying that we are tired of business as usual in Washington. We are hungry for change and we are ready to believe again. If there's anything, though, that we've been reminded of since Iowa, it's that the kind of change we seek will not come easy. Now, partly because we have fine candidates in this field, fierce competitors who are worthy 
of our respect and our admiration. And as contentious as this campaign may get, we have to remember that this is a contest for the Democratic nomination and that all of us share an abiding desire to end the disastrous policies of the current administration. But there are real differences between the candidates. We are looking for more than just a change of party in the White House. We're looking to fundamentally change the status quo in Washington. It's a status quo that extends beyond any particular party. And right now that status quo is fighting back with everything it's got. With the same old tactics that divide and distract us from solving the problems people face. Whether those problems are health care, that folks can't afford, or a mortgage they cannot pay. So this will not be easy. Make no mistake about what we're up against. We're up against the belief that it's all right for lobbyists to dominate our government, that they are just part of the system in Washington. But we know that the undue influence of lobbyists is part of the problem, and this election is our chance to say that we are not going to let them stand in our way anymore. We're up against the conventional thinking that says your ability to lead as president comes from longevity in Washington or proximity to the White House. But we know that real leadership is about candor and judgment and the ability to rally Americans from all walks of life around a common purpose, a higher purpose. We're up against decades of bitter partisanship that caused politicians to demonize their opponents instead of coming together to make college affordable or energy cleaner. It's the kind of partisanship where you're not even allowed to say that a Republican had an idea, even if it's one you never agreed with. That's the kind of politics that is bad for our party, it is bad for our country, and this is our chance to end it once and for all. We're up against the idea that it's acceptable to say anything and do anything to win an election. But we know that this is exactly what's wrong with our politics. This is why people don't believe what their leaders say anymore. This is why they tune out. And this election is our chance to give the American people a reason to believe again. But let me say this, South Carolina, what we've seen in these last weeks is that we're also up against forces that are not the fault of any one campaign, but feed the habits that prevent us from being who we want to be as a nation. It's the politics that uses religion as a wedge and patriotism as a bludgeon. A politics that tells us that we have to think, act, and even vote within the confines of the categories that supposedly define us. The assumption that young people are apathetic. 
the assumption that Republicans won't cross over, the assumption that the wealthy care nothing for the poor and that the poor don't vote, the assumption that African Americans can't support the white candidate, whites can't support the African American candidate, blacks and Latinos come, cannot come together. We are here tonight to say that that is not the America we believe in. travel around this state over the last year and see a white South Carolina or a black South Carolina. I saw South Carolina. I saw crumbling schools that are stealing the future of black children and white children alike. I saw shuttered mills and homes for sale that once belonged to Americans from all walks of life. And men and women of every color and creed who serve together and fight together and bleed together under the same proud flag. I saw what America is and I believe in what this country can be. That is the country I see. That is the country you see. But now it is up to us to help the entire nation embrace this vision. Because, because in the end, we're not up just against the ingrained and destructive habits of Washington. We're also struggling with our own doubts, our own fears, our own cynicism. The change we seek has always required great struggle and great sacrifice. And so this is a battle in our own hearts and minds about what kind of country we want and how hard we're willing to work for it. So let me remind you tonight that change will not be easy. Change will take time. There will be setbacks and false starts. And sometimes we'll make mistakes. But as hard as it may seem, we cannot lose hope. Because there are people all across this great nation who are counting on us, who can't afford another four years without health care. They can't afford another four years without good schools. They can't afford another four years without decent wages because our leaders couldn't come together and get it done. Theirs are the stories and voices we carry on from South Carolina. The mother who can't get Medicaid to cover all the needs of her sick child. She needs us to pass a health care plan that cuts costs and makes health care available and affordable for every single American. That's what she's looking for. The teacher who works another shift at Dunkin' Donuts after school just to make ends meet. She needs us to reform our education system so that she gets better pay and more support and her students get the resources that they need to achieve their dreams. The Maytag worker 
who's now competing with his own teenager for a $7 an hour job at the local Walmart because the factory he gave his life to shut its doors. He needs us to stop giving tax breaks to companies that ship our jobs overseas and start putting them in the pockets of working Americans who deserve it and put them in the pockets of struggling homeowners who are having a tough time and looking after seniors who should retire with dignity and respect. That woman who told me that she hasn't been able to breathe since the day her nephew left for Iraq, or the soldier who doesn't know his child because he's on his third or fourth or even fifth tour of duty. They need us to come together and put an end to a war that should have never been authorized and should have never been waged. So understand this, South Carolina. The choice in this election is not between regions or religions or genders. It's not about rich versus poor, young versus old, and it is not about black versus white. This, this election is about the past versus the future. It's about whether we settle for the same divisions and distractions and drama that passes for politics today, or whether we reach for a politics of common sense and innovation, a politics of shared sacrifice and shared prosperity. There are those who will, tell, who will continue to tell us that we can't do this, that we can't have what we're looking for that we can't have what we want, that we're peddling false hopes. But here's what I know. I know that when people say we can't overcome all the big money and influence in Washington, I think of that elderly woman who sent me a contribution the other day, an envelope that had a money order for along with a verse of scripture tucked inside the envelope. So don't tell us change isn't possible. That woman knows change is possible. When I hear the cynical talk that blacks and whites and Latinos can't join together and work together, I'm reminded of the Latino brothers and sisters I organized with and stood with and fought with side by side for jobs and justice on the streets of Chicago. So don't tell us change can't happen. When I hear that we'll never overcome the racial divide in our politics, I think about that Republican woman who used to work for Strom Thurmond, who's now devoted to educating inner-city children, and who went out into the streets of South Carolina and knocked on doors for this campaign. Don't tell me we can't change. Yes, we can. Yes, we can change. Yes, we can. Yes, we can heal this nation. Yes, 
we can seize our future. And as we leave this great state with a new wind in our backs, and we take this journey across this great country, a country we love with the message we've carried from the plains of Iowa to the hills of New Hampshire, from the Nevada desert to the South Carolina coast, the same message we had when we were up and when we were down, that out of many, we are one, that while we breathe, we will hope, and where we are met with cynicism and doubt and fear and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of the American people in three simple words. Yes, we can. Thank you, South Carolina. There are three huge things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on gig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support. So Barack Obama gets 54% of the vote, excuse me, 55% of the vote. Uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, 26.5. John Edwards, 17.6. On the, uh, just as a comparison, Barack Obama received more votes. Now remember, we're talking about South Carolina here, folks. This is a Republican state. The biggest estimates you had for Democratic turnout was 350,000. Over 500,000 people voted in the South Carolina Democratic primary. In 2004, only 290,000 voters voted in the Democratic primary. Barack Obama alone in 2008, I guess, we're in, received 295,000 votes. He received more votes than John McCain and Mike Huckabee combined, the top two vote-getters. Democratic turnout in South Carolina outpaced Republican turnout. I don't know when that happened before. I don't know if it ever has happened before. Not in, not in at least, you know, uh, since probably 70s, 80s, maybe even late 60s. Now, let's. Uh, I want to talk just briefly about um, your reactions to uh, the uh, the primary race. Uh, and this South Carolina win. What was your reaction to this, Jane? I mean, it was very impressive. Obama had an amazing ground operation in South Carolina, and you know, I, I don't think that that is the focus of attention in the way that it should be, because everybody is sort of trying to dismiss what happened as, oh well, black people will always vote for Obama and women will always vote for Clinton, which I don't think is true. 
And uh, I, the media narrative coming out of it is really disappointing. Glenn, well, what's your sense? Well, I don't know. I thought actually that it was a, a little bit more significant than just the ground game. I mean, I think the percentage of black votes combined with the percentage of white votes that he got, if you translate that to other states, including critical states like New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Pennsylvania, could actually be a real threat to to Hillary Clinton. And, and you know, I think beyond that as well, and it depends on how this plays out, but certainly there's a significant part of the Democratic Party that has become increasingly alienated from the Clintons over the past week, including people who have been some of their most ardent defenders for quite a long time. And you see Ted Kennedy came out today, for example, and he was considered an important endorsement and endorsed Obama, at least in part because he's been so distraught, rightly or wrongly, by what he perceives to be the sort of racially charged nature of, of some of the accusations from the Clinton campaign. I think it's a big question mark how much um, is that confined to sort of, you know, the elite of the party, people who pay a lot of attention, or will that, is that going to spread more to Democratic voters and have the kind of backlash in Obama's favor that I think you saw in Hillary's favor prior to New Hampshire when there was a perception that she was being treated unfairly by the press? And, and um, uh, what of, I mean, what do you make of the fact that in South Carolina, we now have, we had 500,000 voters coming out dwarfing um the the republican turnout i mean obama himself got more than uh the combined votes of john mccain and mike huckabee uh there there seems like there's something else that's happening out there that no one seems to be in touch with I, i mean it dwarfed the number of voters in 2004 when everyone was sitting around thinking that the world was on fire um what is it simply that Obama is bringing out more voters, or is there fundamentally something different happening with this new generation, I guess? I think it's a combination of factors. One, people are really sick of George Bush, and the past seven years have really made people hungry for change. But I don't think you can say it's all due to Obama, because if you look at New Hampshire, uh, you know, people came out for Hillary Clinton, too. I think there's just a lot of excitement behind the Democratic race behind the ideas that they're all putting forward, and they're so clearly head and shoulders above all the Republicans in the race. I think that that's generating a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, Glenn? Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with that. I think it's mixed. I think Obama is clearly bringing a lot of energy and excitement and new voters into the race that otherwise wouldn't vote. I mean, that definitely happened in Iowa. I think it pretty clearly happened in South Carolina. And then I think also just, you know, you're seeing huge gaps and in, in increases in, in Democratic vote total, not just Obama, but Hillary and Edwards as well. I think Democrats perceive they have exciting and interesting candidates, and, and they're much more motivated, and therefore coming out of voting. This is Sam Cedar, and you're listening to the Best of the Left podcast. If you like what you hear, tune into Cedar on Sundays every Sunday from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Air America Radio, or you can watch us live online at samcedarshow.com.
Senator Barack Obama is riding a wave of momentum after Saturday's landslide victory in South Carolina's Democratic primary. On Sunday, former President John F. Kennedy's daughter Caroline endorsed Obama in a column in The New York Times entitled A President Like My Father. And today, Senator Ted Kennedy is scheduled to announce his support for the Illinois senator at a campaign rally at American University in Washington. On Saturday, Obama won 55 percent of the vote in South Carolina. Tonight, the cynics who believe that what began in the snows of Iowa was just an illusion were told a different story by the good people of South Carolina. And in nine days, in nine short days, nearly half the nation will have the chance to join us in saying that we are tired of business as usual in Washington. We are hungry for change, and we are ready to believe again. Senator Hillary Clinton placed second with 27 percent of the vote. John Edwards, who was born in South Carolina, placed third with 18 percent. On Saturday, former President Bill Clinton attempted to downplay Obama's victory. Jesse Jackson won South Carolina twice in 84 and 88. And he ran a good campaign. And Senator Obama's run a good campaign here. He's run a good campaign everywhere. Democrats are now focusing on February 5th, Super Tuesday, when voters in 22 states will cast ballots. often been the case in this campaign, Barack Obama delivered a speech that was exemplary in terms of political rhetoric. Uh, the phrase, the takeaway phrase in this was, the choice in this election is not between regions or religions or genders. It's not about rich versus poor, young versus old, and it is not about black versus white. It is about the past versus the future. Barack Obama clearly thinks that's a winning message. This was the central point in a speech that was highly visible. And it's an argument that might well change the dynamics of the upcoming contest on what we're now stupidly calling Super Duper Tuesday. It'll be interesting to see how the mainstream media covers Obama's victory and in particular Obama's powerful speech, or whether the next news cycle is dominated by someone who has a habit of dominating news cycles, and that's Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton managed to pull the focus away from his wife's campaign yet again with his comparison of Barack Obama to Jesse Jackson. The clear import of Clinton's comparison is to suggest that black candidates do well in South Carolina, and thus Barack Obama's then impending victory could be discounted because, hey, South Carolina voters tend to like black candidates. With that, I think we can close any further debate as to whether the Clinton campaign is actively injecting race as an issue into the 2008 Democratic primary season. They are doing it. Bill Clinton is doing it. Uh, whether he is the designated attack dog for the Clinton campaign or uh, just a loose cannon, uh, this is unfortunate. 
Uh, it's especially unfortunate uh, given the sharp contrast between Clinton's role in this campaign and the role his predecessors have tended to take in previous campaigns. Uh, admittedly, he's in a difficult situation uh, being both a former president and presidents have tended to maintain a kind of respectful silence uh, as campaigns have unfolded. He's also uh, a political spouse uh, and there are certain obligations, but I think you can draw a sharp contrast between the role he's taken and the role either Elizabeth Edwards or Michelle Obama has taken, uh, both of whom have tended uh, to be much more supportive of the merits of their spouses rather than attacking opponents. There was a subtle but clear indication about just how close this race is by the way the Clinton camp conceded, and I'm using the term conceded loosely. Uh, they finished an, a distant second place and the Clinton camp elected not to have Hillary Clinton speak uh, in the form of a traditional concession speech, but uh, delivered uh, a short message, uh, a written message to the press. That message said, among other things, on to Florida. Because Florida and Michigan jumped the gun and held primaries before February 5th, their delegates don't count, and there was an agreement among most Democrats not to campaign there. Now, as we saw in Michigan, Hillary Clinton's name ended up on the ballot despite that agreement, and that dynamic is playing out again in Florida. So, essentially, Hillary Clinton is running uncontested in those states, and she wants those votes to count if the core message coming out of her, quote, concession to Barack Obama in the South Carolina primary is, now we're moving on to Florida. That's an indication of just how close this race has gotten. So that's how things look from a kitchen table in South Minneapolis. For The Uptake, this is John Logan. Before the votes were finally counted yesterday, uh, President Clinton was asked why it was taking both Clintons to handle you in South Carolina. Here's how he responded to our David Wright. That's just debate two. Jesse Jackson won South Carolina twice in 84 and 88. And he ran a good campaign and Senator Obama's run a good campaign here. He's run a good campaign everywhere. The implication there is pretty clear. You're the Jesse Jackson of 2008. Well, you know, Jesse Jackson run his, uh, ran historic races in uh, 1984 and 1988, uh, and there's no doubt that that set a precedent for African Americans running for the highest office in the land. But, you know, that was 20 years ago, George, and I think that what we saw 
in this election was a uh, shift uh, in South Carolina that I think uh, speaks uh, extraordinarily well, not just for uh, folks in the South, but all across the country. I think people want change. I think they want to get beyond uh, some of the racial politics that you know, has been so dominant uh, in the past. And we're very encouraged uh, as we go to the February 5th states. Do you think President Clinton was engaging in racial politics there? Well, I, you know, I, I think that that's his frame of reference was the Jesse Jackson races. Uh, that's when, uh, you know, he was active and involved in, in watching uh, what was going to take place in South Carolina. Uh, I think that a lot of South Carolinians looked at it through a different lens. Uh, and certainly our campaign was confident that if we talked about the things that people are really uh, trying to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, if, they, if we were talking about how to make sure everybody has health care that they can afford, uh, how people are going to be able to go to college, uh, making sure that people are able to stay in their homes uh, in the face of the subprime lending crisis and the larger credit crunch that we're seeing. Uh, as long as we were focused on those issues, we thought those would transcend uh, the sort of uh, racial divisions that we've seen in but the past. Several and support a leader who truly has the power to inspire and make America good again from sea to shining sea. I'll support the candidate who inspires me, who inspires all of us, who can lift our vision and summon our hopes and renew our belief that our country's best days are still to come. I found that candidate. And I think you have too. <laughs> I'm proud to stand with him here today and offer my help, offer my voice, offer my energy, my commitment to make Barack Obama the next president of the United States. We know the true record of Barack Obama. There is the courage when so many others were silent or simply went along. From the beginning, he opposed the war in Iraq. And let no one deny that truth. What counts in our leadership is not the length of years in Washington, but the reach of our vision, the strength of our beliefs, with Barack Obama, we will turn the page on the old politics of misrepresentation and distortion. With, with Barack Obama, we will close the book on the old politics of race against race, gender against gender, ethnic group against ethnic group, and straight against gay. I know 
I know that he's ready to be president on day one. <laughs> there was another time when another young candidate was running for president and challenging America to cross a new frontier. He faced public criticism from the preceding Democratic president, who was widely respected in the party. Harry Truman said, we needed someone with greater experience and added, may I urge you to be patient. And John Kennedy replied, the world is changing. The old ways will not do. It's time for a new generation of leadership. So it is with Barack Obama. My friends, I ask you to join in this historic journey to have the courage to choose change. It's time again for a new generation of leadership. It is time now for Barack Obama. <laughs> in the year I was born, President Kennedy let out word that the torch had been passed to a new generation of Americans. He was right, it had. It was passed to his youngest brother. He has carried that torch, lighting the way for all who share his American ideals. So make no mistake, the choice in this election is not between regions or religions or genders. It is not about rich versus poor, young versus old, and it is certainly not about black versus white. It is about... It is about the past versus the future. It is about looking backwards or marching forwards. It's about whether we are going to seize this moment to write the next great American story. So someday we can tell our children that this was the time when we healed our nation. This was the time when we repaired our world. If you will stand for change so that our children have the same chance that somebody gave us. If you'll stand to keep the American dream alive for those who still hunger for opportunity and still thirst for justice. If you are ready to stop settling for what the cynics tell you you must accept and finally reach for what you know is possible, then we will not just win these primaries. We will not just win this general election. We will change the course of history and light a new church for change in this country. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. I don't know how many people know this, but um, today, when I'm recording this, January the 29th, is actually the two-year anniversary of Best of the Left podcast. I wanted to do something kind of cool for the anniversary, um, and so I'm going to announce something uh, a little bit later, but first I wanted to talk about a few things. Um, we finally set up a Facebook account for the Best of the Left podcast. Um, the easiest way to get there is go to our website, 
look in our sidebar and you will see a link for our MySpace and our Facebook pages. So if you have a MySpace or a Facebook account, please go to our site and click on our links and add us as friends. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about is we're having another uh, live chat meetup February the 5th, uh, Super Tuesday, and we're going to be hanging out on the front page of the forum. There's going to be a chat room set up, and there's going to be live, uh, the Young Turks uh, live coverage of Super Tuesday. So check the forum for specific times on that. I'll post the time's up um, as soon as I find out but it's probably gonna be uh, a few hours long the whole thing but you don't have to hang out for the whole you know event you can just stop by and you know say hi I'll be there and uh, hopefully the J-man will uh, pop in and say hi too okay so here's the announcement we have and we're going to be giving away a limited number of hand screen printed best of the left podcast hoodies here's how this is going to work we're going to be giving away i want to give away one per week for the whole month of february so four of these i want to give away and here's how i'm going to do it if you go to our website and look in the sidebar and scroll down a little ways you will see something called quick links this is where we have links to the source shows that we get content from as well as um, podcast friends friends of ours who have podcasts and blog friends and also other sites that we like just a bunch of links um, however if you look in the group of links called source shows you'll see about 25 shows that we mainly get most of our content from now if you scroll back up to the top of the page you will find in the menu bar a page of the website called send us clips if you go to this page there's a little web form where you can fill out a some information about a clip that you found and you can actually upload your clip right there and send it to us for every clip that you send us using this form on our website from one of those source shows in the sidebar you will get your name in the raffle one time if you send us three clips from the young turks you'll get your name in the raffle one time however if you send us three different clips from three different shows in the shows list you'll get your name in the raffle three different times and thus increasing your chance of getting your name picked uh, in the raffle. Now, I want, we're going to have a raffle drawing once a week, um, at least for the month of February, possibly longer. Um, and we're going to be giving away one of these Best of the Left hoodies once a week. 
Then at the end of February, I'm going to take all the names from the whole month and we're going to have another raffle and the person that wins that raffle is going to get an 8 gigabyte iPod Video Nano preloaded with every Best of the Left podcast episode to date, including the first uh, 32 or so shows that Jay did that are no longer even available to download from our website. They're not on our archives. So this is for the hardcore Best of the Left fan. There are links to a couple um, text and image tutorials on how to get clips using Audacity and GarageBand um, from the Send Us Clips page of our website. However, I'm going to try to update these tutorials. I know they're a little bit outdated. Um, If you have any questions um, while you're trying to use either one of those tutorials, just uh, send me an email. I'm going to try to make some some video tutorials because I know the uh, text and image ones can be a little hard to follow. I'm going to post a thread on the forums about all of this. Um, instructions and more details on anything else that I forgot to talk about. So if you have any questions about any any of this stuff, just come down to the forums and everything will be posted there. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Thanks for participating, and I will see you guys on Tuesday. Peace. Oh